Oh, hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 318. Joining us this week, our good friend. We, you know what? We don't really know how long it's been since we've seen him. I, I think I was wrong with the numbers. But Ryan Miller of the Thinkubator and the Ruben James Band is back to chat with us about all sorts of things because it's been such a long time. Also this week, we'll talk about the new Woodstock documentary on HBO Max. We'll talk about the Olympics and some of the stuff that's been going on. We'll get into some history lessons and we'll go all the way back to the year 1999. All of that, folks, and so much more. As always, we are happy to have you here for another episode of the Uticast. Oh, oh, oh yes. It is the Uticast episode 318. Uh, as I tease, joining us this week, the first time since episode 124, November 5th, 2017, which doesn't make sense. No, that's not possible. It feels like it's you not. You talked to him via Zoom within like the last four months. I don't think that's true. I swear to God, I, I, I'm blown away. Mm. That it would have been three years and thirty. Have to go back and there's no way because I remember him being. On, I remember you and him being on a Zoom call. I must be wrong, man, because we were. Uh, that seemed wrong to me. I was like, that can't be right. That it's been this long since we've talked to our good friend Ryan Miller, director of the Thinkubator, and uh, playing at the moment. Yeah, because you guys talked about you guys talked about pandemic stuff. Did you talk about pandemic stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he's back with the Ruben James Band, who's playing a show. Oh, it's great. I love to see it. Yeah, Ruben James back. I've noticed a thing going on where like a lot of people are in bands and playing music. Like a lot of older guys are like, wait a minute, I can still hang. A lot of my friends that are in like their 30s and whatnot being like, hang on, we can have a band. Might as well play. I can still be in a band. I just don't think I can hang anymore. Mm. I think I can hang at different things than I used to hang at. I'm useful. I'm no longer the featured act. I, uh, you can, I mean, you can always bring it back, too. You know, practice. Just like getting back. I mean, if you were going to go back and try to be playing basketball, you'd have to practice. Or if you want to go play soccer, you'd have to go practice. If I was trying to ever play basketball, I would have been. I would have had to practice because I was never very good at basketball. It's yeah, exactly. Tough. Yeah, yeah. I had a hoop in my backyard, which I thought was all it would take to be good at basketball. Uh, oh, I got a hoop back there. As if no other people in the world had basketball hoops in their house. Like, I was special in some, in some way. But, yeah, Ryan Miller, back. The first time in a long time, it felt like. Mm. Uh, good time talking to him. Uh, had a nice long conversation, as always. So we won't get too bogged down with stories this week. Although, probably getting back to the time when Heather's thinking about maybe coming back. So maybe next week, a couple yeah. weeks out. Cool. So there you go. Uh, Kev, before I dig into any quick note stuff, how's, how's things with you? What's going on in your world before I hit you with all sorts of nonsense? Um, I, I'm hanging out, man. I don't have any complaints. <laughs> Uh, are you over the 81 degrees now? I'm getting a little burned out with this oppressive 81 Why, is degree. it hot today? It's it doesn't hot. feel like super hot. I, I don't think know. it was hot out there today. I mean, it's a little warm, but like it seemed like it was a lot warmer a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I guess not as humid out there as yeah, it was it, a couple weeks ago. it's not been too bad. Uh, I think we've been, it's been pretty good the last couple of weeks. All right, so, uh, I guess we'll start here, and maybe we'll have some follow-up in a few weeks about this, because I think I have someone coming in to talk about it, Maybe. Uh, but I, we watched the Woodstock 99 documentary mm. on HBO over the weekend. Right. Uh, Kev, what, are, what were your thoughts about the Woodstock 99 documentary as a whole? I liked it. I thought they did a good job. 
Uh, I thought they did a nice job as well. It was very entertaining. Uh, what did you? What were your thoughts on the on what it's like nine nine before watching it? And it was pretty much the same afterwards. Did you come out thinking anything different after watching? No, it? I mean it's it's pretty similar. It's been it's been twenty years and it's been pretty thoroughly well dissected in the culture. Yeah. Uh, so no, it wasn't so much that, but it was interesting to get a look at a lot of footage compiled yeah. that I'd probably never seen. I had read a lot about Woodstock '99, but it was interesting to look at some footage I'd never seen before and like some behind-the-scenes stuff with like different bands and artists and things like that. Couldn't help but just look at the footage, trying to see if I knew anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, Ooh, is that someone I know? Is that anyone? Is that is that GFOP Chris Mandry? Is right. That, <laughs> is he floating around in there? Uh, you know, I don't feel too proud to admit that I during 1999. And that era probably owned some corn and limp biscuit merchandise, T-shirts and CDs and such. Uh, wild though, when you look back, how popular they really were—like crazy popular in '99. Yeah, I guess because limp biscuit, like in hindsight, people kind of think of it as a punchline. I feel like in in mm. in, in our, even in our generation, I feel like like all oh, limp biscuit, new metal music. Ah. Mm. But man, like even just watching some of that footage for how much those people were going nuts for corn, yeah. I was kind of impressed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and also I thought it was funny seeing Joe Griffo name check Anthony Kiedis like they were best pals. It was the funniest thing I've seen. Joe Griffo, please come on and talk to me about what you and Anthony Kiedis talked about. Yeah, only interactions <laughs> with musicians. Only that's all I want to hear about. All interactions with wild musicians. I just want to hear about that story. More about that one moment. Um, so yeah, if you have HBO or whatever, if you have access to it, I think it's worth a watch. What I'm most excited, it seems like it's going to be a series of music documentaries. Yeah, six. I'm into that. Yeah. I'm into that. I mean, there have been so many documentaries on stuff that I care way less about than I care about music that have been sort of subjected to whether, like, force-fed or other people around or liking them or whatever. But, like, music is really, it's like, ah, finally. Like, here's the lane. I think there's a lot more sports docs than music docs out there, at least accessible. Because like, the ESPN 30 for 30 docs were so prevalent for a long time on, like, right. Netflix and stuff. Like, I yeah. feel like I got... I'm there's all that, like, behind the wrestling stuff. There's a lot yeah. of people make... There's a lot of um, subjugation to, like, mini YouTube documentaries where it's like, yes. here's another guy sort of reshuffling his take on famous sports event. And it's like, yeah. right, okay, let's... Sports, great. We saw it. It was there. It was good. It was It was fine. We enjoyed ourselves, but I feel like music is really rife for a lot more documentary space. That's true. I wonder if the sports thing, too, is just that we have tons and tons of, like, access to lots of footage from sports. It's mm. easier to find, you know, dates and specific footage That's true. And it's things. also, I mean, part of it, too, is, like, what you're surrounded by, you know what I mean? Like, you guys are all pretty deep sports, you know what I mean? Like, you guys are deep, deep into, like... Do you think sports is more popular in the general culture than, like, music right no. now? No, probably, right? Like, music no. has a broader Absolutely feel not. than... No. I don't even mean like a specific sport. I mean sports in as a concept. No, I don't think so. No, you don't think so. No. Yeah, that's a that's a like dude centric, dude centric way yeah. to look yeah. at it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I can't think Absolutely. of you know not to say like oh rah, rah, like women don't watch sports, but yeah. like most a lot of a lot of people I know don't give a shit. About that's very true. Even the barest notion of sport, sporting teams, competition, yeah. all that. So no. Uh, speaking of sports, while we're, while we're on the subject. I don't know if we talked last week about the 2020 uh, Olympics in Tokyo, Japan. I don't know if we talked about it at all, but it started this yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as usual, as is typical of the tradition. You going wild, running around the block with the torch? Running <laughs> run around yeah. the Olympic torch. Mr. Olympic. No, I, I mean, in typical fashion, every Olympics, I'm in it 
real hard for the first couple days because mm-hmm. I think it's kind of different and weird, right? I'm sure. looking at all the odd sports, watching a lot of like taekwondo highlights and mm-hmm. judo and synchronized diving and just the stuff that you wouldn't see otherwise. But I think I'll probably get burned out in the Olympics by about. That's a always the problem. People people go too hard at the beginning for the Olympics. Well, too hard at the beginning. People are watching the the opening ceremonies, which I mean is. They should play at Guantanamo Bay because, boy, oh, boy. Um, and then, like, all the beginning of people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch 18 hours of Olympic coverage for the first four days. Not realizing the Olympics are, like, three and a half weeks long. <laughs> they take yeah. a minute to get done. There's going to be a lot of sports later on down the road you're going to want to see and you'll be burned out. I'm always fascinated, too, when they do, like, when they bring in all the different countries. And, you know, the U.S. comes in with, like, there's 600 athletes, and they have, like, these, like, dope Ralph Lauren-styled matching yeah, yeah. gear. Some of the stylings of all the different teams yeah. that come in are pretty cool. But then, like, you get a country like Togo, who has, like, two people, and I'm like, for those two people, like, all that matters are these two events, and it's the most important two events for their whole country, right? U.S. has athletes all over the place. We got athletes in, like, events that I don't even pay, pay attention to. Mm. But I'm curious, I'm always fascinated by the athletes who are, like, the best guy in this country at this one specific thing, just mm. out of nowhere. This one guy from Togo happens to be the best pole vaulter or whatever. Mm. This is really fascinating to me. Mm. Country all gets behind one specific person. Yeah, I mean, population, you know? Yeah, a, lot yeah. of, a, lot of, a lot of countries are very small in population. Uh, I've noticed I'm a little down on gymnastics this year. I haven't watched much of the gymnastics. Yeah. Uh, but I'm liking swimming. Swimming's still pretty... I like a race. I don't like, like a swim. A swim is a little... is too much with, like, the... When it's like, oh, we're going to do ten laps? No. No, no. Race across the pool. And then we're, I don't need 10 laps. So you don't like... Because that, that's edging into NASCAR territory, is what that is. That's edging into NASCAR territory. Oh, we'll do 10 laps back. The same thing with any track races where it's like 20 laps? No. Yeah, it's a fi- so 1,500 meters, we were looking at this earlier. 1,500 meters is 30 times uh, across the pool. Come on. Right? Nope. Absolutely. Laps 5 through 20, you're really... No. No, no. no that's a lie, my friend. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I think that uh, I'm always into the, the fringe sports. I'm liking stuff like archery and weird things like that. I thought the triathlon was kind of cool watching that. That's like mm. an interesting sport. It just feels weird. Like, you have to get into something like that kind of by accident or through, like, someone in your family doing it. Like, how else would you get into the triathlon? It's not like the thing you do in It's a, the same way people get into anything, really. Do they have, like, the triathlon in, like, college? Is that, like, a sport you can yeah, do? Yeah, you're probably around you're somebody who does, like, track or swimming, and you're somebody who's like, oh, I've got an interest in doing this further. You know, in the same way, like, I know mm. people that run, like, marathons and 15Ks, and it's just sort of like, oh, I'm going to keep going and getting into this. Yeah. I'm going to compete in this thing, you know what I mean? Type of people who do that sort of thing. You know, you're probably around it. You're likely to maybe have a parent close to it if you're a kid that gets into it, or maybe yeah. you just found out you're good at it at school. But uh, yeah, no, that's true. I just it's one. I, I just think about the accessibility of something like running a triathlon, right? Like you got to be able. I guess Simple. you just do all you three of those things. You just got to run. You got to swim, swim, run, and bike. Yeah, bike. True. That's all you need is a bike. What about like the decathlon where you like ten events? I don't, I don't know what ten events are in there. I have to look sure, them up off yeah. the top of my head. I'm not sure. I like, again, I like a fringe event. I like an event that's a little mm. weird, a little mm. strange, something I wouldn't see. I think those are like core, triathlon, decathlons, like core. What are the core Olympic sports? Ooh, uh, that's a good Gotta one. Gotta do triathlon. Track and field. Yeah, right, yeah. track and field, speed, just racing. Mm. I mean, wrestling, I suppose. So everything under the racing banner is racing? Is well, maybe racing not. racing count? Is run racing? I would imagine run racing. I, I, when I'm saying track and field, I'm thinking like shot put, hammer throw, pole vault. So uh, just field. Not well, track. Well, I didn't get that far. 100 meter sprint, like marathon stuff is all, like that's all counts. Okay. Uh, I feel like that's like legacy Olympic sport, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
boxing feels like it came in later, whereas wrestling feels like it's been there from the beginning. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I, gymnastics feels like kind of a late era Olympic sport. Probably came in. Mm. I would guess not early on. Like I don't know how much gymnastics was going on in the form it is today in the early days of the Olympics. Mm. Oh, that's like a time machine thing. People like go back and see. I like to go back and see what like the third Olympics looked like. Mm. You know what I mean, out in Greece. I or, like people be let down. People be let down. Be, a little let down. Like folks would be let down if they went out there. Yeah. Just noobs and togas fighting around for gold medals. Not even gold medals. Probably like a yeah. big stick. I feel like that's like uh, that's like going to visit New York City when you've never been there anymore, and going to like the Statue of Liberty. You're like, well. I mean, here we are. <laughs> yeah, we've got. Yeah, I guess like, this is it. Uh, here we are. Uh, but couple disappointments though from the U.S. in the Olympics <laughs> so far early on. Uh, one, uh, the U.S. men's basketball team seems to really not be trying their best. Terrible. Doing a terrible job. Although I can understand that they're like, oh, these three guys are coming from the NBA Finals. They're gonna. No, it's an excuse because they were getting they were getting drubbed in the yeah. in the warm up rounds. Uh, U.S. also got a bronze. It's simple. In skateboarding, which feels like something we should have got a gold in. Feels like it's a very no. We get whipped in skateboarding. You think so you we in get skateboarding? whipped a lot, of, a lot of wild Japanese kids in skateboarding. A lot Brazilians, of wild Brazilians, yeah. a lot of Australians coming up. Yeah, we get. And then Katie Ledecky got a silver in her first like thing. Hey, what can you do? I I don't I think it's good for her, but like mm-hmm. she was getting built up a lot. That's not like a, a big loss, but I feel like from the marketing aspect, they well, want her to that, be the new Phelps. Well, yeah, but that's that's because she was. You know yeah. what I mean? Like she did that the last Olympics. Olympians are just like fighters, right? They're getting. Not getting beat, not getting beat, but they're getting older, and eventually you know yeah. they're going to get beat. You know what I mean? Same kind of thing with an Olympian, I think. Uh, so, yeah, that's all. I, I don't have much else from the Olympics. That we, I guess the boat almost running over those people in the triathlon was probably the most memorable other thing that happened when they backed the boat out when mm-hmm. people were trying to start the race. That was kind of wild. Yeah, they had a boat. Uh, all right, and that's about it. Two weeks away from soccer for me, but that doesn't count because I don't care about Olympic soccer. It's kind of irrelevant, so mm. we'll just ignore it. Uh, all right, so we, won't go, we don't have a ton of stories this week, and we have a long interview mm. with Ryan, but a couple of things I, I mean, want... You should have done. You should call Andre Short, see what he's doing for these Olympics. Oh, is he Mr. Olympian. Mr. Olympian. You've got to reach out to him the next week or two. He'd probably be a good guest. I'd uh, be happy to talk Olympics. So I wanted to share this with you guys. Uh, this is the newest crazy New York State food that people are saying mm. you're going to want to try. This is from a food cart called... Fried Specialties. Terrible name, by the way. It's not a very good name. No, no, it's good. you got to get, like, the hand-painted sign, though. Like, Fried uh, Specialties. Established 1898. So, just to get an idea of what we're talking we're about here. Fryers. One of the famous vendors at the fair, or famous-ish, known for their crazy concoctions. Sure. So, in the past, they've done the Sudden Death Burger, which is a burger where the bun was replaced with bacon. And the hot, the Heart Attack Hot Dog, which is a hot dog stuffed with cream cheese, wrapped in entirety in bacon and deep fried and then the new york harvester which is a deep fried turkey sandwich which actually sounds kind of good yeah i mean that yeah uh this is their newest concoction kevin it's called the heart failure uh it is a hoffman hot dog wrapped in bacon deep fried until it's crispy served between a twinkie topped with peanut butter sauce cheddar cheese and bacon bits as well as a small snickers for some reason here is the photo, you guys can look it up online if you want, of the heart failure. Kev, your thoughts. No. It's no. A little gross. For what? I mean, 
I'm not even going to sit here and do, like, the, the, the snide, like, oh, yeah, this girl stuff. But, like, what, what are you doing? Nobody wants that. Nobody needs it. You know what I mean? You lost me. You could have sold much. me on hot dog on wrapped hot dog, in. I like a hot dog. And hot even dog you, wrapped in bacon. Hey, hey. Hey. I'm here to try it. You know, you throw a little cheese on there. Wow. We're sauce, really getting heavy bits. duty, but yeah. it's making sense. I don't need a Twinkie. Or the peanut butter sauce. It. For what? Yeah. You know? Especially you're at the state fair, like you're probably going to eat a couple different places. Which yeah. I'm going to eat for three days after you eat that. No, no, it's yeah. true. How are you going to try anything up, else? You know right? What yeah. I mean? Yeah. What's your? It doesn't have to be the state fair, but what's your favorite? Like, if you go out to like a boardwalk or walking out somewhere, like a what's your favorite sort of carnival style food? Um, corn dog. Uh, no. <laughs> I like a corn dog. No, you can't do anything with a corn dog. Eat it. Like, well, yeah, but <laughs> um, no, you get like a pretzel. Big pretzel. I'll take, I was like, a pretzel would be all right. Caramel corn? like that. No, not I mean, I like it, but I don't go. There's a lot of stuff like that where it's if somebody's yeah. got it, it's like, hey, do you want a bit? I'll have some, but I don't seek it out. You know what my niece and nephew like is cotton candy, which I feel like is a total booby prize. Mm. Cotton candy hurts your teeth. Doesn't That's taste just like sugar it. for kids. It's just sugar yeah, for just kids. Sugar yeah. For kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. Boardwalk food, I guess a funnel cake. I'm never angry about a funnel cake. If mm. someone gets a funnel cake, I'll take a bite out of the funnel cake. I like to get a drink if I can get a Ooh, drink. Yeah. If somebody's making like a, a super fresh, like lemonade or limeade yep. or some sort yep. of frozen, like for that. maybe not necessarily like a milkshake, but something mm. more towards the smoothie side of the world or yep. something like that. If I can get like a nice, um, I don't know, like a like a pina colada with I mean you could put the booze yes. in it if you want but like out at somewhere where you get something like that on a hot day I'm always looking for something like that probably last piece of sports news this week and something I never thought would actually happen but I guess they finally did it oh you knew they had to well I knew they were going to I just didn't know that it would happen like so quickly uh, so uh, the Cleveland Indians have changed their name they will no longer be known as the Cleveland Indians following the end of the 2021 season Kevin the new name mm. is the Cleveland Guardian. Terrible. You don't like it? No, I don't. Uh, that seems to be the general consensus. A lot of people don't seem to like the name. Now, mind you, a lot of people don't like the name for the wrong reasons. They're right, just like, right. oh, why yeah, isn't yeah, there yeah, Carpini yeah. Indians anymore? Yeah, a lot yeah. of that. But mm-hmm. if you're taking that part of the conversation out of it, objectively, do I like the name Cleveland Guardians? No. I didn't. Uh, I learned a little bit about why they went with the name Guardians. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's in reference to these like statues that are on a bridge outside the stadium, the guardi- like the traffic guardians or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's the reference yeah. to it. I mean, sure. I mean, if, like, I, I don't know. It, I actually kind of like the logo and what they've done with like the fonts and colors and stuff, so mm-hmm. I, I don't hate it as much as I initially disliked the names, it. I mean, I haven't seen new logos or anything like that, but the name just sounds like a like a double-A baseball team from the 60s. It does feel a little Bush League. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like a... And not, you know, certainly not to say that Cleveland Indians is the move. Other than, <laughs> right. Other than you're used to it for such a long time, so of course it feels like pretty normal and everything. Uh, you just You could have done better. Yikes. So here's the logo. You don't like any of the logos here? The, that, the G with the with wings. With the wings on the ball? Is yeah. It's hurting. The C is all right because that's basically like their logo. The guard, it's a bad font. Yeah, no. They're they're in trouble. You know, so they're not a fan. No, no. Uh, it's not great. I, I see what they did. They tried to take the Guardian's name and they tried to make it sort of fit into the pre existing. Yeah, it's got the D I A N S at the end. Trying to make right. it look yeah, the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. I see what they did. It's yeah. not the most... It's it's a valiant effort, I'll say. I don't love it, and I don't think it will look very good, and I think most people would be kind of down about it. That being said, I'm not going to, like, make a big thing out of, oh, you keep calling me Indians. I've seen some people doing that already, making, like, a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that's always... <laughs> yeah. 
It's always such a such a, a nuanced, good faith conversation yeah. when you head down those well lit lanes. Uh, so yeah, I, I like though that Cleveland really tried to double down on making people like it. They announced this name change with a video narrated by Cleveland baseball fan Tom Hanks with music supplied by Akron area musicians, the Black Keys. They're like, guys, we know you're not going to love this name, so here's a bunch of things you mm. probably do like. Tom Hanks is a good get. Tom Hanks, Black Keys. Um, why don't you just, take, just call him the, the Tom Hanks. The Cleveland Hanks. Or the, Cleveland, just, the Cleveland Tom Hanks. <laughs> the Cleveland Tom Hanks. The Cleveland Black Keys. That's probably nah. nice, not good. Nah. Uh, all right, so let's... Black Keys, listen, the Black Keys are good, but like the Black Keys are also... <laughs> Uh, I hear you. They're kind of past there. They plateaued a while back. I'm certain. Uh, listen, I'm certainly not going to compare them to like a Greta Van Fleet, but I'll say sure, Dan Auerbach sure. knows what he's doing. Uh, here's some good news for you. In a move that pours cold water on the dreams of a few billionaire space explorers, the U.S. has tightened its definition of the word astronaut. Uh, good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> to qualify as a commercial astronaut, the FAA says, spacegoers must travel 50 miles above the Earth's surface. you got to be an astronaut to uh, be an astronaut. But they also have to, quote, demonstrate activities during flight that are essential to public safety or contributing to human space flight safety. Yeah. So because they weren't actually involved in the process of flying the plane just because they were passengers, they're not technically considered Of course, they astronauts. shouldn't be. This is, this is preposterous. These people aren't exploring space. Yeah. They're going on rides. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we did this in, like, this, in, like, 1961. Uh, there are only two ways to earn official astronaut wings in the United Be States. Be an astronaut. Either work through the military or work mm-hmm. with NASA. And to become an astronaut. To become an astronaut. Yeah, that's, yeah. You that's got, it. If so. you want to be an astronaut, you have to become an astronaut. Uh, and uh, uh, big sad news for these folks out of California. U.S. couple whose gender reveal party last year was blamed for starting a deadly California wildfire faces up to 20 years in prison. Uh, again, mm-hmm. don't do dumb stuff. For your gender reveal parties. It's tough, man. It's, it's, that's, that's a hard one. That's, I don't know. I would have to learn more about the story to know how I really feel about Look, that. Look, I'm not like, sitting here being like, how dare these folks do? I don't want to see them go to jail. But, like, man, a lot of these gender reveal parties do wild stuff. Well, no. I mean, listen. If you started this giant forest fire they call this devastation, you're yeah. going to have to go to jail. So I'm not saying these people shouldn't go to jail. But you hear 20 years and you're just like, ah. Ah, it's... Yeah. But look at the scale of the devastation, too. You know what I mean? This is a, that's a tough one. California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection alleged that a smoke-generating pyrotechnic device was used during a gender reveal party, uh, which was the cause of a September 5th blaze that yeah, was I not... Yeah, I imagine they won't do the full 20. No, you would think... I... Well, look, I, I certainly don't think that these folks planned to set up a fire during their party, right? Like, I'm sure that these guys didn't maliciously do anything, right? That's sure. where it's like, I don't know, 20 years feels like a lot. But you get it's 20, a lot of land. You, get 20 years, you can get 20 years for an accident, manslaughter, murder, too, all sorts of stuff like that. 22,000 acres, homes and properties. Tough stuff. Because what are you going to do? I mean, you can't be like, yeah. oh, pay restitution. So these, yeah, people don't rest- have, yeah. these people don't have, you know, $800 million to pay. No, that's a great point. Tough stuff. stuff. It says stop messing around. Stop. Stop Just stop messing, messing around. around. Like, people should be, listen, we've got... Some serious drought conditions in a lot of places in this country, yeah. and you have to know what you can and can't do, what to watch for. Like it's everybody's responsibility. Everybody go buy a Boy Scout handbook and just start reading. Like this is stuff you should know, and it's easy to make fun of it because I think the whole gender reveal thing is, you know, for me personally, it's it's a, a bit much. Yeah, yeah. We'll say a little but, gauche. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> I'll just say it's a bit much, but um, to each their own. By the way, do whatever tough. you want. It's tough. 
for these poor people. I mean, because I feel bad for them, because like you said, I'm sure they didn't mean to do yeah. what it is they've done, but... Yeah, malicious intent is mess not... Mess around, you find yeah. out. Yeah, mess around and find out, it's true. Uh, all right, so let's get to this week's interview. Great conversation with our good friend Ryan Miller. He is the director of Thank You Bader in, uh, I guess it's not downtown Utica, what's that, like East Utica? What would you call that's that? Downtown. Downtown that's, Utica? That's super, that's downtown Utica. mega downtown. Uh, and then, of course, uh, he's playing with Ruben James. So we had a nice conversation about music. We talked a bit about uh, businesses, podcasting, how you can, you know, interacting with other businesses, how people have responded in, in you know, coming back to the pandemic in terms of being back in a think you better. Great conversation. We always love talking to Ryan. Again, we think our research is wrong. I don't think it's actually been three years and 38 it's, it's weeks. Impossible. It can't be. Uh, but we'll have Ryan. It's nice to have Ryan on, and we'll make sure we have him on a little bit sooner next time. Ryan Miller, just nightmares about this i'm so sorry this is why i i feel bad bringing it up to people every time they're on the show and yes they're gonna laugh at me but i feel like i should tell you if i end up doing like the what i can't hear you yeah thing, yeah i i literally can't hear you um i should have just warned you that we were gonna go right into this it's my fault i'm so sorry uh, no problem no problem <laughs> uh ryan i did some research here today by the way welcome back to the show ryan's episode thanks for thinking of me man this is great it's been a, it's been a minute well, I'm glad you brought that up because I felt real bad about it afterwards when I talked to you last night. And I was like, oh, I should. I usually go back and I look at the last time somebody's been on the show so I can get some context for how long it's been since we've talked to somebody. And I went back and I'm doing my research this morning and I'm, and I'm like, well, the last time Ryan Miller from the Thinkubator has been on, it was episode 124, which was November 5th. 2017, which doesn't make any sense to me. It feels odd that it's been almost four years since we've had a conversation on this podcast three if you count the year that we just skipped kind of you know <laughs> yeah yeah the whole missing this this bogey yeah the whole missing guy. year yeah. no and that's that's that but see here's here's the thing that's that's awesome uh is that you you guys have been week in and week out like since um, i think the first time was almost like 2015 yeah we're on our six-year anniversary now we were, we're it's crazy at this point in time and I'm glad, and you brought it up, and I think Phil Phil Fart actually said said to me about this yesterday, uh, or last week when we were on here. I actually just watched your video that you did on Instagram about talking about podcasting and like uh, some of the oh, like, yeah, yeah. And and you and you hit on some interesting points that I mentioned with Phil last week. You know, people Phil asked me is like, how is it that you still do this? And it's like you know, 318 weeks, and you have taken a week off. And I usually just tell them neuro uh, neurosis. Like just being really, really chaotic, sure. and uh, but really, you no, know, the consistency seems to be the big issue I've noticed with a lot of people who like to do the podcasting is making it part of their actual routine and repertoire and making it part of their life, and that's hard for people if they're not, if it's not their only thing in their life they're doing. I agree, a hundred percent. You know, myself included. You know, I've done, I've been, I've gone from like, um, you know, I was doing a, a podcast 
I, I, I don't want to say like was or I am. I was doing a podcast Rust Belt Startup. I am doing a podcast Rust Belt Startup. And it was like, okay, every two weeks. And then I did that for like 15 weeks. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to treat it as a season. And then it got to be like once a month. And then I was like, you know, I don't, it, there's a quality issue sometimes where I'm like, is this good? Um, but then it's, <laughs> then you have to reconcile with like, you know, flexing the muscle, getting the reps in, you know? You know, and that's the thing. I think a dirty secret that I tell people all the time uh, is every time I do this show, I think this is the last episode. I'm like, this is the one. This is the one where we're calling. That's a healthy <laughs> dose of skepticism to have. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is the one where I'm calling it after this week. Well, you know what it is, I think, too, though? Um, I I got lucky with the idea when I pitched this to Justin of making this an interview show and like having somebody to talk to and sort of you know, help me out with the conversation, heavy lifting yeah. of the show. If this was just me and Kevin and Heather having to come up with an hour's worth of like, hey, here's some funny content every week. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been doing this. This is, this is not like a, Yeah. I know that a lot of people think this is like a vanity project for me, but it's not, I promise. Like, I, I really don't like having to hear myself talk. It's mostly to facilitate other people. <laughs> uh, but Ryan, uh, it's been 194 episodes since we last saw you. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, First off, I guess let's start here. Um, you know, I hate to ask this question. I was just making fun of somebody for this last week. How has things been with the Thinkubator overall in the last four years? I hate to give a non-pointed question, but you know, you've yeah. gone through a pandemic. We're starting to come back out the other side. And the reason I sort of bring it up is, uh, and I don't want to ramble here, but I was out in Chicago earlier this year to visit my sister and help her out with some work she was doing at her, uh, at her catering gig. And her catering gig is essentially set up in a food-oriented uh, incubator-style business. And I couldn't help to think of, and I thought about it afterwards, like, wow, what an interesting way to do for a food company. I never thought about it from a food thing. Uh, one, I guess, my question is, how have people been responding over the last years to the access that you guys have allowed them, their incubator? And number two, have you started to see people take the incubator idea and run with it outside of just you guys? Yeah. Um, so the short answer is, I think if we had, you know, if we had a superpower, like going into the pandemic, I would say it was probably like, we had really, you know, we had a great community, um, folks that were um, working on, on, on just getting something off the ground. We just had a lot of people that wanted to be around creative individuals. And so I think that was our superpower. It wasn't that we were funding million dollar companies or anything like that, but um um, and then, you know, when everything kind of locked down, we were shut down for maybe like nine months. And, um, uh, you know, we tried to hang on to that community by doing, I mean, everything from, you know, we're going to just have, um, virtual coworking where it's like, we can just turn on the camera and like have lunch together. Like, you don't even have to talk just to have like people so right. you can see each other. So we did, we did like virtual coworking. We did, um, scrambled and moved programs online. Uh, but like everybody else, you know, myself included, like I was so sick. I'm so, I was so sick of zoom, you know, you just got zoomed to death. Right. And here we are talking on zoom, but like, this is also, there's some convenience to it. Now, now I can see other people. I have, I have, friends that are mammals, you know, like we can, we can see each other. This isn't so bad, but when this is all you had, uh, it got old real fast. And so um, I think towards the beginning of this year, we kind of like started reopening things, vaccines started becoming available. And um, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, like a, two, a, a few major trends. One, um, I think during the pandemic, there are a lot of people that experienced a lot of hardship, um, may have, may have lost a gig or um, I think, Sorry, this is such a long answer. No, no, in a great. healthy way, um, started reevaluating their life 
and just going, oh, do I want to do I want to, you know, be doing this thing that I've hated for eight years. Right. Um, so there have been a lot of people that have decided I'm going to start my own thing. That's a good thing. The you know, the problem, I shouldn't say the problem. Yeah, it's a problem. You know, it's like when uh, when you could do home recording and then like everyone was in a band, you know, um, <laughs> when everyone can do it, everyone will do it. And so um, I think there are a lot of folks that maybe aren't weren't ready to go and take that plunge or or kind of have that due diligence around like it's really hard to try to do something full time like this. So that's been a challenge for a lot of folks. I think the 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 the, the crash rate has been higher than it normally has been. Um, and then the other side of that question, um, you know, how's it going? I, I really feel like since January, it's, it's kind of like I've been uh, starting from day one. Yeah. You know, I, I really feel like it's, it's been, it's been on the community end, like that superpower has, is gone. And I having to try to rebuild that now. Uh, you touched on something that I've talked about all the time when it comes to music. Uh, it even relates to podcasting and business and stuff, though. And it's, uh, I, I think the term I want to use is the video game term is level gating. Uh, a lot of times you feel like you need to get to a, you have to be a certain level of something to be successful at it, right? People want to start. And there's also people who are like, well, you're not there yet, so you can't, you, you can't start until you hit to a certain yeah. level. Uh, I always think with the music aspect, that level gating growing up was access to recording technology. This is the example I always go with, right? When I was a kid, if we wanted to go record a three song demo, which actually happened to us, we had to take $8,000 as a loan and go to a studio in Rochester where they recorded three songs, which turned out terrible. And we hated them. And we hated the experience. And we hated the people we worked with, but that was it. We were $8,000 out. We learned, we lived and learned. I would say within four years from that time period, suddenly access to Ableton GarageBand at-home recording software was way more accessible than ever was when we were just getting to the end run with music. And I've had that internal conversation with myself a million times. Like if we had hung, if we had stuck it out a little bit longer, would we have caught the boom of at-home recording? Could we have started making all this stuff by ourselves, Or were we one of those guys who much like my age range, 35 year old white guy who always thinks that they were born a little bit out of time. I should have been born like 15 years earlier because it would have been easier to be successful as a touring band if I were born in 1975, not 1986. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, I think there's um, uh, to keep that music analogy going. I would say the analogy, like the music conversation going um, there's, there's this, it's that, this idea of convergence where it's, I agree with you that sure. Recording tech, um, price dropped and, and we were doing Ruben James. I mean, I think we did, we did one record in a studio and then we, we rented, uh, well, you know, the old, the old places up above pizza classic for, yeah, yeah. for probably six, seven years. Jay's oh, still up there actually. And, um, uh, we bought an old, uh, iMac G3 back in the day, uh, used and a pro tools rig. And we made, you know, like six or seven records, like all on our own. So our, our process was really like, democratize the recording part of it and outsource the stuff that we don't have the skills for. So like we would then take it to Lyman Christensen, Matt Wagner, um, who really were sound engineers and we gave them the stems and let them, them do their magic, you know, so the, the convergence idea is like, okay, so yes, the recording stuff comes down. Well, now you still have a problem. Distribution was still a problem. Right. And then we democratize distribution. And so now distribution is a problem, but now the problem is we're competing for attention. Right. So if there's, it's like the challenge just mutates, <laughs> you know? 
And music is so weird because music, much like movies, I feel like for a long time had this system that worked for them, for the music industry, mind you. I don't mm-hmm. mean musicians, I don't mean the yeah, art, yeah. for the industry, right? You had this giant profit driver, whether it was you know CDs, cassettes, some sort of at-home music that just vanished. It's just gone now. That market no longer exists. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying woe is me for the record companies, but it is from a marketing standpoint, something that they probably were not prepared for. There's this huge revenue driver and now it's just no longer accessible. I, as I get older, I feel bad that I'm more likely to agree with Lars Ulrich than I was in 1999 about Napster, right? But like, I sort of understand his point now as an older man, I don't think he's right, but I'm more willing to see his side of the point now as I get older. I'm less willing to hate Lars. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm less willing to hate him in 2021. <laughs> well, well, I don't you know. know you I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So did you watch him on the Woodstock documentary from HBO? I haven't seen it yet. I don't, I don't have, I don't have the HBO. So I gotta, I gotta get that and check it out. Shout out to my, my roommate's buddy who, my roommate's brother who helped us out with getting access to watch. It's pretty good. It's, it's worth a watch. If nothing else, then for when, Joe Griffo name checks Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hat Chili Peppers like their best friends. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I laughed for 10 minutes. It was amazing. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to get caught. I didn't mean to distract you out of that. No, that's uh, cool, man. Uh, I, I, will, I do want to mention, I had this written down, and since we're sort of talking about music, I guess it's a good point to bring it up. Do you have a, you have a Reuben James gig coming up on August 2nd, do you not? We do, man. Yeah, we actually, we're, believe it or not, we're doing two. We're doing... August 2nd as part of the Levitt concert series. And yeah, yeah, um, um, our good friends at uh, Nail Creek had asked us to kind of, they're like, since you're in town uh, and it's that <laughs> Saturday night, we're going to be doing a, a, a set at Nail Creek, which we're, we're stoked about. And it's, it's our, I'm trying to figure out like how long it's been. I think it's been 11 years um, since we played nice. a Ruben James show. And nice. um, it's like riding a bike, man. Like it feels so, we got together this weekend for our last rehearsal and it just feels so good. Like, it just feels really good. It's something that I, I think for people who don't, who didn't grow up playing music or didn't grow up around music, it's really hard to describe the feeling you get to play live music with people, even if it's just in a room by yourself, not in front of other people. Just there's a, it's hard to describe that process and the enjoyment that you can feel uh, when things are kicking together and all of a sudden it, it works. It can be frustrating when it's not working, but when it yeah. is working, God's like, man, what a feeling. And it's so hard for people to understand that. I imagine that's what- Pat- are, you, are you 40 yet? You're in your thirties, right? Oh, no, I'm 35, 35. 35, not like this has anything to do with it, but it's like life stage, you know, I think <laughs> um, the, there's there's a shift. We were talking about this because we we went to um, we went to Joe's the other day, which I haven't been to Joe's in forever. And so we went for oh, Joe's there for goes. pasta. Oh, dude, it was so good. It's the best restaurant. It's the best. And, um, you know, we were just talking about how, well, a, co- a couple of, of premises we're testing. Like premise number one is, uh, were we were we actually any good when we were playing or were, was everyone, you know, we were in our 20s or was everyone just drinking a lot at the time? You know, audience included, We, you know, the, the bars loved us because we brought people out, but I, I think they also sold a lot of beer. Um, and so we're, we're testing that, you know, it feels good. And then kind of the, the other thing that we, we thought was was fun um, or is, is more fun now, like, you know, when you play with people for, we played together for like 10 years. And I think, you know, Jay and I've been playing together close to 20. And um, there's this like, uh, what do you call it? 
uh, where you, where you a tel, not telekinesis, okay. but e ESP, right? Like yeah. you kind of get that when you're playing with people for a long time and, and you forget that that's a superpower that exists where it's like, we can, we kind of know where each other are going to go before we go there. And it was really cool to see that click into gear again. That's something that I found frustrating after not, after playing with Kevin for years, Kevin and I have been playing together since we were like 15 and then we played the bands together from multiple bands. And then when I went to New York and was doing stuff with other people, I had to get used to the idea that I wasn't able to just be like, oh, Kev, can you write this part here? And I don't have to question it. I'm sure it'll be good. I'm sure it'll go in. I don't have to worry about you in any particular way. I just know that we're yeah. on wavelengths. And that's a frustrating thing when you don't have it all of a sudden. You're like, ah, oh, yeah. You think that it exists when you're just in a band, but it's it doesn't. It's it's something that I don't even know. Like you can learn it, but I don't know that it's, it's possible in every situation. You I've know, like it, it was easy this this go around. You know, I've talked about it before with my my great friend of the pod, Chris Mandry, who not is just a friend of the yeah. pod, one of my closest friends since we were kids. To this day, we've played together multiple times. I don't think that we like click together as musicians great friends i love him to death as a human being but for whatever reason when we are together working on music there's some it just doesn't it doesn't work all the time and i, I can't explain why it's just the way it is sometimes it's the way it is you know it's it's a it's a complicated um thing to explain and but i you know i also think that we're all we're all now in our 40s and um the the stakes are zero and that's kind oh of freeing God. you know like we're we're past the point of going oh boy i don't you know hope we get our break or whatever like when the stakes are zero it's incredibly liberating and that feels really good shout out to your boy jay schmidt by the way i see jay all the time at handshake events and he's been on this podcast before he's a really interesting guy i like talking to him but i do not think he recognizes me even though we've had many conversations <laughs> i can't tell if that's just like his personality if he's just like kind of low-key or if I'm just overbearing, but either that or I think he, I think he, much like everyone else, I think they see the Maiden Utica people, they just assume I'm Mark Simon. <laughs> I think is what I think is. What I, I actually did that to some dude the other day when we were down at Handshake City. I said, "Hey, congratulations!" He goes, "For what?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, oh, I thought you were Mark Simon." So, uh, so I gotta let, let me get back to some uh, thinking beta stuff here before I get yeah. too far off track because I do have some lightning round questions for you as well. Uh, and I am unfortunately on kind of a hard time limit today. Yeah, my, yeah, man. Yeah, my sink is getting replaced. My faucet is getting replaced because burning. Uh, yes. You ever do the thing where you turn your faucet on and it just sputters? Like it doesn't. It it the water comes out, but it doesn't feel like it's right. We're doing that. Um, so just recently, I want to say July twelfth, when I looked at my research on this, you guys just had your uh, your most recent refinery sprint. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and you know, for folks who are out there, you can explain this a little better for me. Uh, it's about the general idea is turning your more amorphous ideas about business into a more concrete idea or giving a access for a place where people can come to do this. Uh, what kind of response have you had to this? Because like, I think this is a really great idea. What kind of response have you had from the community with these refinery specials so far? It's mixed. Um, it's really geared towards, it's got to be the right kind of person. Um, we, I try to get it where you're kind of a little bit beyond that idea stage where it's like, you know, um, it's you're in side hustle territory or like you've built a demo or like, you know, um, because the idea, I try to get you from like minimum viable product to like, okay, it's a legit business. And so we try to do that in about eight weeks. Um, so the response is, is sometimes people don't know what to expect. Um, and when they come out of it, when they come out of it, uh, you know, 
the, 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 the response that I get from people is, um, it wasn't what I expected. And wow, we went, we went fast in, in going through this. So, you know, a lot of people think that what I do is, um, do, you know, business plans and stuff like that. Really. I think if you ask people what the outputs are, I really try to be like, um, a, a, a co-founder and push people really fast, um, to hold them accountable over eight weeks. And like, you'd be surprised what you can do in eight weeks, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's the goal is we try to spit out either. Uh, I tell people we're going to, we're jumping off a cliff together in week one. I either want to grow wings with you on the way down, or I want to smash that plane into the ground. So we know that this is not a good idea. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting to you, the way that analogy is kind of apt, you know, I, I've talked about this show as a, as an example in the past, you know, when we did episode zero of this show, however long ago it was, we did not, it was a test episode that was never meant to be presented to people. It was meant essentially for us to, to work on the show. We put it out just because, because we're like, well, no one's going to listen to it anyway. And then sort of by accident, it's like, I guess we're doing it next week too. And then it just kept going. Like we were not ready to start necessarily. We just started. And that's sort of how it happens. I don't necessarily know if that's always the right way to do things. But again, once you've jumped off that cliff, you're either falling and crashing, or you're falling and flying. And once you jump, you really don't have a choice anymore. You've either committed or you haven't. I think some people want permission to start. And that's a hard thing. You know, when you're trying to start something as an entrepreneur, like you don't have someone's giving you, like you're in charge. And so, I, you know, I'm trying to give people a permission to like, let's, it, like this might not work. And that's, that's totally cool. Uh, and, and, you know, and just because you're in, you know, you probably are in so much contact with people, uh, you know, with, with Incubator and with all these small businesses you talk to. You know, I hate to be a downer about it. How, what kind of voices have you heard from people in terms of like dealing with their business during this pandemic? Have you heard, have there been, have you had more people starting business ideas or are people more reluctant to start businesses now that we're coming back out of, of this pandemic, hopefully? Uh, you know, it's a mixed bag. I think there's been a lot of people that want to start. I think just the, here's the good thing that come, comes out of this. Like there's, a, you know, everyone's talking about a labor shortage and I think, the, a positive of this and everything is a mixed bag, but I think uh, on, on balance, a positive is that um, people are, uh, was Scott Galloway was saying the other day on his podcast, like people are, are not willing to work 40 hours a week to live in their cars. And I'm like, that's a positive. Right. And so, so I think wait, you know, the, the idea of what is work, what is meaningful work um, and what is um, uh, living wage, like we're going to, we're going to be thrashing through that, I think as a society, you know, and things might have to get more expensive, like, but we're going to have that. I think this is a conversation that needs to be happening and the pandemic did that. I think there are people that, um, that, that, because they, because of the pandemic, they reassessed their situation and said, you know what, life is too short. I'm going to take a chance on something like that's a good thing. The bad thing is that, you know, like there, it's not for everyone. And I think the, uh, as folks kind of work through this, you know, the marketplace is, is not, um, it's not emotional. Right. And so like some things are, are not going to work. There was a gentleman that, that, um, I was working with the other day and he said, you know, I walk around, I was trying to figure out what to do. And I just try to walk around and ask myself the question, what do people need? What's the problem that someone needs solved? And I think that's a good way to do it as opposed to, I like baseball cards. Let's open a baseball card shop, you know, a, 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 a solution in search of a problem, flip it. You got to have a problem in search of a solution. That's my, that's when I always talk about how I want to secretly start like a power washing business. I have no plan. I just think power washing is fascinating. And I think you love it. I have no, I have no, I have no other yeah. upside on that besides 
the Fed. But, you know, and this is something, this is like, and here's an old man game that I played. You probably play this more than I do because it's more relevant. You ever just walk into some business and look around and think, I wonder what the overhead on this place is. This is like an old man game that I play all the time. (laughs) I was up north this, this summer. And every time I pull into a marina, I think to myself, what's the overhead on this marina? How did they get this started? How much money does it take to open a marina? Turns out it's a lot of (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot, you know, and, and whenever folks, you know, come in with a retail idea, like retail is great, but it's also probably suicide, you know, in a, a, unless, unless, you know, it's, um, I mean, economic, I don't mean like you're going to, my God. Uh, um, but what I mean by that is like, it's so hard. And unless you can compete on um, experiential retail is not going away. Like experiential retail is going to be amazing everything else is going to be a real slog, you know, and, and I'm trying to tell people as well, cause we're on a low, you know, most people I work with are local. Um, it's not enough to uh, compete on we're local. Like you still have to be awesome. Like you, it, you know, the product's got to be good. The service has to be great. It's just not enough anymore to say um, support us cause we're local. Uh, and Ryan, before we get into some more broad uh, questions, just to, I don't know if you have this information on you up top of your head, What's the next sort of upcoming incubator stuff that people can get excited for? Where can people get in contact with you if they haven't figured that out already? Uh, we're going to be doing a couple of shifting things. Number one, I'm going to be doing another refinery sprint eight weeks in the fall, okay. uh, probably right after uh, like late September. Um, it's application only. It's free. Um, but but we try to keep the groups to like six or eight. I did 14 the last sprint, and that was a little bit a little bit much. Um, but one of the things I'm exploring, um, and and I like I can't I can't say hey this is definitely happening yet or not is um, we moved the the refinery program. It used to be all in person, and I moved it all online, and now it's kind of a hybrid. Um, but the content, like all the stuff, you know, I shot uh, with pretty high quality video and like made it into a course. And we're thinking about like open sourcing that, where it's like oh if you just want to do it, like go ahead. You're going to be able to, to do that on your own time, whenever. If you want that support structure around you, come and do the sprint. This is more of a personal question. I ask because, you know, we talk about the, the technology. Now. Where do you stand? Because I struggled with this in terms of for a long time when the pandemic first started, I was not doing Zoom stuff. I was like, I suck at doing Zoom stuff. I'll do conceptual shows. I'll do some stuff with the people I can get. But I've kind of gotten more comfortable at are you the kind of person who got comfortable with Zoom or do you, at the end of the day, would you prefer to be working in a room with somebody if you had the choice? It depends on the person, Sam. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> ask the God. There are some people it's it, that I just, I, I vibe with in person. You know, the Zoom thing, I don't mind it. Um, it I think it, it opens up a lot of doors, especially in, in like doing what you do podcast wise. And, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, the dirty little secret of my podcast is that like there's, you know, I always say you like, you want to educate people or like, um, mine's not really entertainment. It's really education. But, um, the, the secret is that I, I almost don't care if anyone ever listens to it. Um, what it, it is to me, it's a Trojan horse for me to meet people that I have no business having a conversation with. So when you send an email to someone and says, Hey, can I talk to, can I pick your brain for an hour? It's usually oh, I'm busy or talk to my agent. You want to be on my podcast for an hour? Let's do it. And so, it's just a Trojan horse for me to create relationships and context around people that I find incredibly fascinating. Speaking my stop. language, speaking my language, I'll tell you what my dirty secret Trojan horse move that I use to people is. I always tell people that a podcast will be 20 to 30 minutes. I never tell them that it's going to be 40 minutes. It's going to go longer than that. And if it goes longer than that, then I'm lucky. 
And if it goes 20, 30 minutes, I can deal with it. But I think people get scared sometimes, especially, and I don't mean this in a bad way, especially local folks, because if you say to somebody, hey, do you want to talk about yourself and your business for 45 plus minutes? If you're not like a public speaker type, that's scary to some people. Now, mind you, I've done this long enough where I feel like I can at least drag 20 to 25 minutes out of content, even about somebody who doesn't think they have 20 to What's your job? That's what you're, that's what you're here to do as a host right. to facilitate that. But I also realize that when you start talking to somebody about themselves, it's not hard for them. They like it after about five, 10 minutes. And all of a sudden you've gotten way past where you thought you are. And that's sort of been the magic of doing the podcast is the access that it allows people. That being said, I am struggling and maybe you can help me out with this. I am struggling as the producer of this podcast and a member of like a, a community organization. I feel like the social media burnout that's happened to me over the last six years is very real. I've lost interest in wanting to post things on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I wonder if that's a common thread with a lot of business folks in the early part of the 2000 in the in 2021. But look, man. I've got a strong opinion on this right now. And in fact, it, this is like, this is, I just, I did a podcast on this like four weeks ago and I haven't posted it <laughs> because, you know, I'm like, oh, is this like, I don't know. I, I don't know if this has any value, but like, I am, I am kind of sour on all the social stuff right now in general. And in fact, the podcast is kind of about um, me re reckoning with the sheer amount of data um, that's out there. And so like I've, I've gone through, you can actually go to my Twitter account. I've, I've deleted all of my, I don't know how many thousands of tweets, uh, I paid a, a bot 20 bucks and it wiped it. Uh, I've, uh, I've been wiping my Instagram uh, 50 posts at a time for the past three weeks. So yep. it's, you know, about 700 to go. And um, interestingly enough, there's not a tool to bulk remove your Facebook posts, but for the last year I started at the beginning and I've, I've been manually deleting every single Facebook post whenever I get some downtime, I'm really sour on it um, at this point. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why that, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's, everything's a personal choice, but there is fatigue. I think fatigue is the right word, with you know, Twitter, with Twitter, it feels like politics kind of destroyed Twitter. Like after, like, I think I would say that like the 2020 election and the buildup from the years before that, it became so toxic and negative that I feel like if I post something on Twitter, it's almost like you're just shouting into the void at this point in time. Like, I'm not going to get much response on it. I think it's interesting that most of the response I get on social media now tends to be Instagram. And I think a lot of that is because Instagram is aspirational content. Yes. Whereas, yeah. you know, with Twitter, it's sort of like I'm doing low-key stand-up comedy. Everyone's dunking on people. Everyone's dunking. dunking on people. Yeah, it's all, it's all it is. And with Facebook, what concerns me the most about Facebook is simply that I know mostly everybody on there. It's not like Twitter where I can go on there. I'm like, oh, look at this guy dunking on the on the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, he's a stranger. I don't know when it's my uncle saying some stuff, and I'm like, that's wild. That that makes me yeah. Feel it's fun. it's amplified and yeah. and I think um, revealed sides of of folks that uh, I'm not going to say are are all bad. I think unexpected. Um, you know, on on in, in name your issue. You know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, yeah. I, there's got to be a better way, man. Got to be a better way. I'm big on email. I'm big on text now. Um, you know. I, and I think that's interesting that you see a lot of people starting. I feel like there's more. I feel like I have more phone conversations in the last year than I used to. I feel like I'm not to say that people are going to go back, that people are going to go buy landlines. 
But I've said for years, and I don't know that I'm right or wrong, and this is just a guess. I don't think we've actively hit the part of our society or part of our culture where we are actively pushing back on all the technology that we got over the last 20 years. There will right. be a moment where people are like, I want less of this. And I don't know for a fact that we as a society are all there just yet. But if we're not, I think we're not that far away. The thing, here's the thing that's the, like, you can have less of it. Like you can, like, you know, I, I my, my wife, um, she, she just, uh, removed Instagram from her phone and like, she puts it on like, you know, once every few weeks and she like goes through the feed and then she just removes it again. Um, we had some really strange things happen to us data wise that kind of freaked us out. So we removed Facebook and stuff from all of our devices. Uh, it's only accessed through the web browsers. Um, uh, and that's a longer conversation, but I think, you know, um, there's there's going to be some answers to this. I think it's a pendulum. Like I think we we went whoa, look at all the stuff that we can do, and now the pendulum is swinging back the other way, and eventually it will come to some stasis. But um, if you look at um, what's that company, Nevo, um, it's a search engine uh, pay, like pay like subscription like it's like Google, but you pay for it. But it, the the advertising model is out, and I think when we start to see some social meat, like you know, it's funny. I used to teach. Uh, entrepreneurship in person. And I would have these conversations with students where it's like, okay, would you pay to access Snapchat? Would you pay a dollar a month? Would you pay $2 a month? And they're like, no way, you know, which is shocking to me, number one. But um, I would, I would pay like, uh, you know, if you could take the, the ad model and the, the, the profit model out, I would pay to access like a, a, a true version of whatever that thing is. I would. You know what, you don't really kill, this is like a real personal thing with Twitter that drove me nuts. When Twitter got away from doing the most recent tweet you see is the most recent tweet that somebody put out. I don't like yeah. to curate it. Because what I liked about Twitter initially was the aspect that you could engage with somebody live. I'm a big soccer fan. If I'm watching the Liverpool yep. game in the morning and I scroll to the top of my Twitter feed, I can almost guarantee that everyone on the feeds can talk about the Liverpool game because I've curated this feed to be about soccer. Now it feels like it's all yeah. kind of tossed into whatever they want to direct. Yeah, it used to be a fire hose. Yeah. And that was the feature, right? Yeah. yeah was, it's, it's it going to be, and people are going to solve for this, I think. Yeah. It was a feature, you know, yeah. I, I don't know, but I think you're going to have um, also some profit incentive, particularly around if we can figure out, I know crypto is a whole other conversation, yeah. but like it, once we figure out micro and nano payments and stuff, like you're going to have people yeah. able to facilitate these things in a, in a, in a way that takes the, the ad model or rage model out of, of the equation. Well, you make me laugh. Here's bring up the crypto thing, and I saw you were talking on your on something about uh, NFTs not too long ago. Yeah. NFTs and crypto are the two things in the world right now that I feel like either A, I'm missing out on the future completely, or B, this is a scam and I haven't figured it out yet. And I'm sort of torn between the two of them at all points yeah. in time. I like need someone to explain it to me like I'm five. I think the whole concept. <laughs> I understand. It's crazy. How, I understand how crypto, like the concept of crypto, but I don't understand like the the more like broad question. I'm like, so this isn't money. I can't turn this into money necessarily, like cash. Like I can't turn it into cash, right? Which is what I, unfortunately where my brain goes with all this stuff. How do I convert this into cash? I think that's the wrong way of thinking about it. Yeah, this is the, there is no spoon, you know, yeah. if you're a matrix aficionado. Yes. I mean, cause like, what is cash? Cash is, is you know, cash? it's the representation of time and work or value. Yeah. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's a different way of looking at it. And I, again, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I am in some ways like incredibly hopeful uh, that, that this technology will somehow 
work its magic. I'm also kind of skeptical <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know, um, that I think a lot of it is a scam. Yeah. You know, but um, well, I always, like, but, I always but it's, it's, it's exciting. There's scam aspects of almost anything, though. I think that there's always sure. people who are going to try and make the scam aspect of it. Um, Ryan, I only have about 10 minutes left before I got to cut yeah, man. off with the sync guy. I'll be here. So while I have you here, uh, let's do some lightning round questions. Uh, you should have had the sync guy on the pod today. I, You know what? I almost thought about it, but it's a whole... I'll tell you that story afterwards when I'm not in here. Okay. Um, <laughs> these are some new lightning round questions. Uh, some of them are uh, some of them are older, some of them are newer, but it's been a while since you've been on, so these should all be new uh, to you. I'll start with one that's not necessarily a lightning round question. Uh, I noticed over the last few weeks, there is a Dexter reboot. There is a He-Man reboot. There's a Sopranos prequel show coming out. What's something that you used to like that you wish they would bring back? What's one show you would sort of look for a reboot that you haven't seen yet? MacGyver. They haven't done, I think they did the MacGyver reboot. I think did just, they really? Yeah, yeah I think it's on like it's just bomb. Access. By the way, none of these shows that I really liked, I've, I, when Netflix had the DVDs, I used to rent them and universally they're terrible. All of them. I don't know why I liked them as kids. Voltron, train wreck. <laughs> well, people are having this debate right now about Space Jam. Right. Like people were sitting here like, oh, yeah, this yeah. Space Jam movie sucks. And I'm like, did you watch the old Space Jam movie? Because it's not very good. Yeah. It what are you nostalgic movie. about? <laughs> it's like Kevin said, I'm not mad that the movie's bad. I'm mad that I'm not 10. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's great. You know, it's funny. My wife and I, we watched Back to the Future 2 the other yeah. night. And uh, I watched Back to the Future 1. Tremendous. Still 30 years later. Tremendous. Back to the Future 2. Garbage pile. It's confusing. <laughs> And that was my favorite one when I was a kid. And this, I was like, this is a ter- this is terrible. It's a tough hang. And I also think that much like The Godfather, Back to the Future 3 gets unfairly maligned. It's not as good as the other ones, but when people are like, this movie is hot garbage, yeah. like, okay, it's not terrible. Let's not yeah. sit here and yeah. It's still got people I like. It. Uh, all right, Ryan, lightning round questions. Uh, these are some of the same six questions we've asked everybody who's been on the show uh, for the last few years. Uh, Ryan, what would be your dream category to show up on jeopardy your dream category to show up on jeopardy oh first of all is jeopardy still on oh yeah okay Big time. uh dream category let's let's say um uh wines that end in o nice nice <laughs> wines that end in O. I love it all right right i'm gonna paint you a picture okay so bear with me for just one moment you are the world wrestling federation heavyweight champion you are on the ramp walking down to the squared circle the title is above your head the crowd is chanting your name what song is playing in the background as you make your way to the squared circle uh feel me flow naughty by nature nice very good See, I've been watching a lot of Fresh Prince. That makes me feel real good when I hear stuff like that. Uh, Ryan, we're opening the Uticast Deli, and we're naming a sandwich after you, the Ryan C. Miller. Uh, Ryan, what would you like to be on your Ryan Miller sandwich? Banana peppers, cherry peppers, roasted red peppers, and some provolone. (laughs) So all peppers and cheese. I love it. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Let's imagine that this is the 90s, and you're flipping through channels on a TV What's a movie that you would always stop for, regardless of where in the movie it was? The Matrix. The Matrix. Are you excited? They're doing a Matrix reboot, are they not? Oh man, I've watched all like the 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 not the spoiler stuff. Yeah, I'm. I I started watching the trilogy again for like probably the thirtieth time. Like it is something that just does not get old for me. 
So you'll have to answer this question for me because I am one of those guys who watched The Matrix when it came out, loved it, did not watch the sequels. As I get older, people tell me the sequels are essentially throwaway movies. Am I, am I wrong to believe this or are they not as good as the first one? The second one at the end, if you if you peel back the onion, it is incredibly profound mm-hmm. uh, because I mean, is this a spoiler free? This yeah, is spoiler I mean, free or like, like it was like 15, 20 years old. Oh, yeah. okay, I think. So, you know, <laughs> the idea that there have been uh, six or seven like Neos before I was like, yeah. and there's a great channel. I know we're off. This is lightning round. Great channel on YouTube. Matrix Matrix. Matrix explained that oh. you could. There's like 80 hours of content dissecting every little scene in all of the trilogies, and it gets really into the uh, philosophy and mythologies uh, of uh, how they combine all different religions. It's fascinating. I'll have to send you a link to this YouTube channel I watch called Wisecrack, which does a lot of like philosophical okay. pop culture stuff. It's pretty interesting. I'll have to send that to you when I'm cool. done. Uh, give me uh, one embarrassing phase that you remember going through as a young man. Oh, my teens and my twenties and part of my thirties. Were you, uh, were you like a punker? Were you an emo kid? What was your, what was your, what was the thing? I had a, I think I had a bowl, bowl haircut and um, very just unsure of myself. I think the bowl haircut is from a time and place generation because I had that too. And I think that was relative. It's coming back. Isn't it coming back now? Things coming back. Tie dye's back is what I was told apparently. Um, (laughs) What, uh, what is your best outing that you remember going on as a child and why was it so great best trip oh out. man uh you know so how can can i say like like i'm still young i uh, graduated high school and i got on a plane and i went uh backpacking europe for a month like the week after i graduated high school so what was your favorite part of uh, europe what do you remember the most from europe yeah man italy italy place yeah. called cinque terre yeah I just finished reading this. Uh, well, I just restarted reading a book that I read years ago. It's called um, Amongst the Thugs by this guy, Ben um, Ben Buford, I think. Bill Buford, I think his name is. He's a famous writer, but it's a lot about going to watch soccer during the hooligan eras in England in the 80s and 90s. And what I really got out of it is how much I want to go to Lyon, France. Like, it's all I've been thinking about afterwards. I'm like, man, Lyon seems like the coolest place in the world. Nothing so. is stopping you, Sam. Nothing is stopping you. I'm, doing, I'm making the money symbols for folks who are watching. Shut about that Do- Dogecoin, man. Shut about, Doge. about the Doge. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, Ryan, give me one thing, uh, one book, album, movie, or television show that you uh, or you and your wife are currently watching, reading, or listening to. Oh, man. Ted Lasso. Ted oh, you Lasso. New, have you started the new season? Yeah, we love that was like the perfect thing for a pandemic. And we like we love it. It's like we need something that's not apocalyptic. Yes. Um, that is just feel good. Like I feel like I feel happier after I'm done watching Ted Lasso. Uh, you know, what's crazy about Ted Lasso and I'll, I'll end on this because I, I, I'm going to ramble otherwise. Think guys here. Yeah. Uh, uh, what happened with that show? It's a show based on a concept I already knew. Like Ted Lasso used to be. I'm sure you probably knew this. Ted Lasso started off as an NBC Sports commercial promoting NBC Sports acquisition of the Premier League. This is from years ago. I and did not know. Did not know this. Okay, so this was it was literally just these two or three two-minute commercials of Was it Sudeikis doing this? It was Sudeikis, and he was essentially being like he was doing the whole bit from the first season where he didn't understand soccer. He's yeah. like, I'm an American coach, we're gonna play for Four quarters, like two halves, you know, that kind of thing. That was a whole joke. Yeah. So when they came out with the show, it felt like it was kind of late because I had been aware of this Ted Lasso, like marketing mm-hmm. campaign because I love soccer so much. And 
I was just like, really? They're going to turn these like two commercials into like a TV series? And it's about soccer. And I was like, this is almost too much for me. I'm like, I'm anti a little bit. And then I sat down and watched it at my sister's house. And I think you're right. I, I don't think, I think people love this show so much because I don't think people realize how much they needed a little burst of positivity in their life as opposed to how cynical almost everything else we watch is. Yeah, man. Yeah. Love Ted. Love it's Ted. a great show. Can you ask one question for me? What is the difference between the Premier League and the Cha and the Champions League? Which one is Premier League is the is the best one? Okay, so I'll do this. We we got the we got the Peacock like my during the pandemic we got the Peacock so just so we could watch soccer and I'm learning about soccer so, with my daughter and I'm trying to figure this out. So uh, the way that the English this is a longer breakdown that I'll do for you in person one day. But uh, generally, the soccer system in the world, in England in particular, is very fascinating. All of these clubs, even the lowest clubs. So, like, let's say you Utica had its own soccer team, Utica City FC, right? We imagine do, the Utica City. We do. <laughs> okay. But imagine that that soccer team was actually connected to Major League Soccer. So that okay. theoretically, if UCFC kept winning every single year and finishing in their top first and second, they play in Major they League would Soccer. Move up to another division. Or if they played poorly, they would move down. Now, most American sports won't do this because most owners, like let's say you're the owner of the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, per se, in the NBA. I'd like to make money regardless of the outcome. <laughs> regardless of how good I'm doing, I don't want to be sent down to a worse league. Uh, so in England, though, they do this because, again, the, the clubs are technically privately owned organizations. Like if the Premier League fell apart tomorrow, Liverpool and Chelsea and Manchester United would still mm -hmm. exist in some fashion because uh, the league doesn't own the teams. So... Uh, the championship is essentially one division below the Premier League. Premier League is the top of English football. It's the Major League Baseball. It's the NBA. The championship is essentially AAA. Okay. These play, this, except the entire team could play so well that they move up into the Premier League and the worst Premier League teams will move down to the championship. I think it's the top three of each group. It's one of my favorite things about soccer and a lot of American sports fans find it very strange. I think it's cool, man. What did think, you think about the Super League? I hated it. Hated it so much. Um, you got to understand, I am a sad sack sports fan. Over my lifetime, I've only rooted for crummy underdog teams. The Buffalo Bills, the New York Knicks, who have been bad. The Generals, the Washington Generals. Outside of the Yankees, who have always been <laughs> my sort of like evil empire team, like the one like obviously <laughs> bad guy team I root for, I've always liked underdog teams. Liverpool had been a terrible team for almost 30 years. So when I found out that they were involved in the Super League thing, I was so mad because I have been such a proponent of the sanctity of Champions League and like earning your spot and like the top teams deserve, it doesn't matter. I like the idea that the worst team can have the greatest season of their careers and be rewarded for it by being advanced through to the next rounds of play. I think it's interesting when a team who's historically bad somehow makes their way up. And the Super League essentially was like, you don't want that. You just want the Dallas Cowboys and the, and the most popular teams all the time, regardless of how yeah. good they are. And that seemed antithetical to what soccer had always been about for me. So there you go. Great argument. I agree that with was, you. That was the quickest I could do that. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Uh, Ryan, I want to thank you so much uh for joining us this week i'm sorry it took us so long to have you on i'll have you on much sooner. it's always a great conversation sam i appreciate it man 
And one of these days when I'm actually comfortable with going back out in public, I have been going back out in public. I just don't, I'm like, I'm very sure. I'm sure I'll run into you somewhere that isn't like a Heather's birthday party. And we'll have more conversation about this. So that sounds great, man. Uh, and just a reminder for folks, you said August 2nd, Ruben James. August 2nd, Ruben James, Love It Concert Series. I love it. Ryan, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you. And uh, when you're done here, will you send me a photo for the website? Yes, I will do that. Thanks, bud. We appreciate you. Thanks, Sam. Talk to you soon. Let's do some history lessons this week. I only have two actual history lessons, uh, and then we'll do something else. Mm. Uh, on this day, 1775, the U.S. postal system was established. During early colonial times in the 1600s, few American colonists needed to send mail to each other. It was more likely that their correspondence was with you know, letter writers in Britain. So mail deliveries from across the Atlantic were sporadic and could generally take many months to arrive. There were also no post offices in the colonies, so mail was just typically left at inns or taverns for people to eventually come and find. Uh, it wasn't until 1753 when Benjamin Franklin became one of the two postmasters generals uh, representing the colonies and made numerous improvements to the mail system, including setting up the new, more efficient colonial routes and cutting delivery time in half between Philadelphia and New York by having the weekly mail wagon travel both night and day through the use of relay teams. Uh, 1774, the British fired Franklin from his job because of his revolutionary actions, but the following year he was appointed Postmaster General of the United Colonies by the Continental Congress. Franklin held the job until late 1776, where he was sent to France as a diplomat. Uh, he left a vastly improved mail system, however, with routes from Florida to Maine and regular service between the colonies and Britain. At that time, there were approximately 75 post offices in the entire country. Today, the U.S. has over 40,000 post offices, and the Postal Service delivers more than 20 billion pieces of mail each year to over 144 million homes and businesses in the U.S. and related territories. Nation's largest civilian employer with roughly 500,000 career workers, it is a non-for-profit self-supporting agency that covers the majority of its expenses through postage and related products. Great organization, mm. Postal Service. Love to see it. Uh, Kevin, you you know a lot more about the postal service than I do. You had family members and friends, family members in it as I do well. Indeed. Uh, I think let I me mean, ask you this question because I don't know if your what your dad or anyone you knew did up there, but sure. Delivery guy, post office delivery guy, guy was out in the street delivering mail. Mm -hmm. I know it's a tough job, but sometimes I look at it and I'm like it seems like an okay job. Is it an okay job? You feel like? From what I understand, I mean, I didn't, you know, um, I, I guess I've known some people who have done yeah. delivery over the years. Um, I can see the yes benefits. Yes and no. It's an easy job to romanticize, I think, certainly. Yes, I think it's that might be It's an easy job to be like, oh, look at me. I'm the postman out here getting reps, getting breathing, <laughs> breathing. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
breathing the Lord's air and like out here just you know getting sunshine rain and sleet and snow but like they, yeah. they got that, that pledge and that credo for a reason where it's the rain the sleet the yeah. snow you know it's easy on a nice breezy summer day like today to sit here and talk about how uh, alright sorry about that neighbors knocking on the front door I gotta get like a studio light out front. Yeah, studio light. Be good. Studio light out front. Just get a big sign that says, don't knock on the door. Don't knock on the door. Ever. No, don't, don't ever. knock on the door. It <laughs> doesn't know, mean come through. That just means... Well, you know what's funny? We found way. Most people who come through regularly don't tend to knock. They just tend to walk right in. So I'm always more thrown off when somebody does knock. I'm like, wait, who's knocking? Mm-hmm. That's, very, that's very off key. Uh, so there you go. Uh, I forget. We were talking about the post office. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I see it. I think you made a great point. Easy to romanticize it. Think I think about that, all the horrible days. All the horrible Think about days, days, where, you're, days. where you're annoyed, acting like you've got to, you know, go on the Oregon Trail <laughs> yeah. to get down yeah. to, like, the grocery store. Yeah. Because it's raining or cold or horrible. On those days, you just have to walk the same route. All yeah. the same houses yeah. need to get their mail. And it's the same route probably all the time. Every day, yeah, yeah usually. I mean, even unless you get moved around, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so there you go. But to be fair, also, um, it's not a bad gig for if, like, if you can get into yeah. it and you like it and do it. Post office takes good care of you, you get paid, you know what I mean? You can take care of your family, do a lot yeah. of stuff. So it's just, it's not, I don't think it's like one of those jobs where it's like a breeze. Certainly. Nah, I hear that. Uh, all right, and on this day, 1999, the original Blair Witch Project is released, uh, shot with shaky. Handheld cameras, the documentary-style movie, told the story of three student filmmakers who disappeared into the woods and were never heard from again. Uh, With the help of a web-based viral marketing strategy, which was a new concept at the time, Blair Witch Project generated huge uh, buzz over the question of whether it was or was not a real movie. It was, in fact, not. It was really, I guess, the movie that started the documentary-style horror... Maybe not started, but popularized the documentary horror-style genre. Certainly a lot of imitators, yeah, yeah, afterwards. Did you ever watch any real... I watched a real bad one once called, like, the St. Francisville Experiment. Yeah, we don't watch that. That was a tough one. That's a yeah, tough... Yeah, it, it was terrible. That was a tough one. It was terrible. I've seen a lot of bad found footage uh, horror movies. Uh, filmmakers had their lead act... There's another movie I saw at the Uptown. Uptown? Yep. I think I saw this at the... Sanger Town Square Mall, I think. Rode bikes up to see this in like a summer afternoon. I mean, this probably right around this time, or like a little bit later, in like August. Uh, Filmmakers had the lead actors improvise their lines based on private messages each actor would receive during filming. To make it seem more realistic and heighten the psychological tension, they also repeat, the filmmakers also repeatedly did things to agitate the actors during the production, like shaking their tents or cutting back on their food supply. They also had the actors do their own filming, which resulted in the grainy black and white footage that became the trademark. Mm. Uh, sequel, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, was released in October of 2000. Uh, it's a weird movie. Weird movie, I've heard. Worth uh, a watch, if you're into... Like, yeah, I'd, worth a watch for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> worth a watch for you, for sure. Uh, a second official sequel, Blair Witch, was released on September 16th, 2016, as well as a series of video games, books, novels, and comic books that were released to accompany the film. The original movie earned $1.5 million from 27 theaters in its opening weekend, which sounds crazy. Mm. Uh, with a per screen average of fifty six thousand dollars, that sounds wild. Like those twenty six theaters were full. Mm. Uh, the film expanded nationwide to in its third weekend and grossed twenty nine point two million dollars, based on a three hundred thousand dollar budget from one thousand locations, placing it at number two in the United States box office, surpassing the science fiction film Deep Blue Sea, mm. but behind another film. And we're gonna do a quick 
July 1999 time warp because of Woodstock 99, so I thought it would be a good year to go back to. Sure. The movie that beat out Blair Witch Project, the number one movie in America on this day, Runaway Bride. Mm-hmm. You have any thoughts about Runaway Bride before I dig into it? Just like a... No, not particularly. I feel like this, this is a movie I feel like I would have watched with like my girlfriend at the time, or if I was dating somebody. I guess I would have been like 13, so I was too young yeah, to have a girlfriend. Like like too young as like yeah. a date movie here. Uh, screwball comedy starring Gary Marshall and Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. Uh, screenplay about a reporter who is assigned to write a story about a woman who has left a string of fiancés at the altar. Is that what people were writing about in papers in 99? <laughs> Runaway Brides is like a thing that was... Julia Roberts was. <laughs> uh, it was the second film to co-star uh, Richard Gere and Julia Roberts following Pretty Woman, 1999. It received generally negative reviews, but was a commercial success grossing $309 million. Roger Ebert said, quote, After seeing Richard Gere and Julia Roberts play much smarter people in better romantic comedies, it's painful to see them dumbed down. The screenplay is so sluggish, they're like derby winners made to carry extra weight. Kind of a strained uh, strained analogy there. But yeah, Ebert doesn't like it. New York Times also had sort of a negative uh, connotation about this movie. Yeah, you're just trying to get the band back together. Trying to pull the band back together. Yeah, you're just like, oh, Richard Gere, Julia Roberts, here they are, back at it. Then you end up with like Black Sheep. It's like you got mail, like with, bring back Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, try and run back the magic one more time. I think people like that. People did like you got mail, I think, right? I, yeah. Uh... I was thinking about doing the Julia Roberts filmography, but I, I pulled up Richard Gere's instead because it's kind of weird. Uh, first Richard Gere movie I even am aware of is like An Officer and a Gentleman, which I'm only vaguely familiar with. Like, I, I'm familiar with the concept. Same with like American Gigolo. Yeah, I'm familiar with parodies of those things in like other shows. In, 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 yeah, in greater yeah. culture. The only movies I'm seeing on here that I've ever really heard of start to go in like the 90s. Internal Affairs, Pretty Woman, mm-hmm. um... First Night, 1995. Yeah, shout out. I like that movie. Uh, Primal Fear, 1996. Primal Fear. Uh, the Jackal. Did you ever nine... Primal Fear? No, that's one of those movies that I keep oh, hearing man. about. Yeah, Primal Fear is great. That was like Edward Norton's like breakout role. That was his first role. Yeah. It was his first ever role. Uh, the Jackal, 97. Not a great movie. Nope. Uh, Runaway Bride, 99. Dr. T and the Women, 2000. And then, of course, 2002. This is a big year for him, though. This might be his apex. Mothman Prophecies, Unfaithful Chicago. Mm. That might be his biggest year. I've seen two out of the three of those. Unfaithful and Mothman Prophecies? Yes. Yes, those are the two I've also seen. Um, I don't like Chicago, and my sister said she's seen it, doesn't really like it, compared to the Broadway show, and I trust her opinion. Sure. I don't know that I care to see Richard Gere do some song and dance, necessarily. Unfaithful was like a, that was quite a film. That one left quite an impression on me as a young man. Mm. It's a dirty film. Uh, after that, I feel like there's really nothing of merit, though, after this. Like, that... The Hunting Party, Knights in Rodanth, uh, Brooklyn's Finest in 2009. Uh, that's nothing. There's nothing here. Did he just stop? Is he done? Over with? Richard right. Gere. Nothing. So maybe when you were on the way to see Runaway Bride, you turned on the radio and listened to the number one song in America on July 26, 1999, Wild Wild West by Will Smith featuring Drew Hill mm-hmm. and Cool Modi. We've been talking a lot about Will Smith lately on this show. Yeah, a lot of Will, and not just because I've been watching Fresh Prince. I feel like it's been coming up in a lot well, of like it's these. Also, years. the Independence Day. Too. It's because now that we live in 20th anniversary culture, uh, we're old enough to reach 20th anniversary culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wild Wild West came out the same year as Independence Day. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, or like somewhere somewhere there in this, yeah. yeah, somewhere within like a year or two. So it's all in the same kind of range. Released on May 11th, 1999, this song, the single for the movie, 
Uh, and also the lead single from his second studio, Will Smith's second studio album, Willennium. Uh, it went number one on the Billboard charts and was a hit on MTV for the extended music video featuring Stevie Wonder's uh, Stevie Wonder and Cool Modi in the video, as well as the group Cool Modi was uh, sorry the group Drew Hill performing in the video. Mm-hmm. Uh, song was a recipient of the 1999 Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Original Song, but was also nominated for Blockbuster Entertainment Award for Favorite Song from a Movie. Mm-hmm. So kind of all over the board with this. I actually like this song. I, well, think, I mean, it's a great Stevie Wonder song. It is a good Stevie Wonder song. Yeah, that's that's sort of that's one of those things where it's like, well, of course this is fun because I love the Stevie Wonder song and I like Will Smith and I'm a kid. I you look, know what I mean? And then you find out, you're like, oh, wait, well, I'll just listen to this. You're not going back and listen to Wild Wild West when you can just listen to Stevie Wonder. That's true. I did go back, though, and look at the album Willennium, and I was like, oh, this had Wild Wild West on it. It must have been a huge hit. And I looked at it, and like, this album doesn't have any songs on it. It's like no. Wild Wild West, Will 2K, and Freaking It? I don't it was remember. a flop. It's a flop. Yeah. This, I go, album, this album did terrible. Millennium was awful. Well, Because then I went back and looked at Big Willie Style, the album that came out before, and it's full of bangers. Well. Men in Black. Full of, it's full of like, hits. Songs hits, that were popular hits. hits. Yeah, yeah. Miami. Just the two of us getting jiggy that with was, it. That was the album. Damn. Yeah, well, I, th- I guess I thought that the songs were more distributed between these two albums and no. they weren't so front-loaded. No, on... he, had, he had like 10 minutes. <laughs> he had like 10 minutes twice. <laughs> so, like a couple hot song every ten year average. Uh, he had like summertime and parents just don't understand for like the Gen Xers. Summertime. This was for the millennials. The mil- the millennials. And now will. all I think the Zoomers are just into like Willow and Jaden. Yeah, really like Willow and Jaden. He's gonna guest star on their album now going forward. I think he has. I'm sure he has. <laughs> he probably has. And finally, in three weeks of doing this segment, we finally have a number one book in America that I'm actually familiar with. A number one book in America that you've gone home and read after watching Runaway Ride and mm. listening to Wild Wild West is Hannibal by Thomas Harris. It is the third book in the Hannibal Lecter series and the second to feature FBI Special Agent Clarice Starling. Uh, the novel takes place seven years after the events of The Silence of the Lambs and deals with the intended revenge of one of Lecter's victims. Mm. Adapted into a film of the same name in 2000, directed by Ridley Scott, elements of the novel were also incorporated into the second season of your show, the NBC television series Hannibal, as well as the season's th- uh, series' third season, which adapts more of the plot of this particular novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert coming up for this, by the way. Uh, the ending in which Hannibal Lecter and Clarice become lovers and disappear together was controversial, and the reaction of the novel was mixed almost because of this sort of outcome. Mm. Uh, Author Stephen King, a fan of the series, has said that he considers Hannibal to be one of the two most frightening popular novels of modern times. It's a great book. The other being The Exorcist, whereas Canadian author Charles DeLint criticized Hannibal as a huge disappointment, calling it a disturbing subtext which sets up Lecter as a sympathetic character and twists Starling out of character to provide a quote-unquote shock ending. Mm. Uh, first printing of Hannibal was 1.3 million copies. It was the second highest best-selling novel of the year. Mm. Don't know what the first one is, so don't ask me. Have you ever read any of these books? I've actually never read any of the Thomas Harris mm. Hannibal Lecter books. I've seen all of the mainstream movies, and I've liked to watch Manhunter, which I've never seen the old original movie that oh, came out before yeah, okay. Silence of the Lambs. You should watch Mindhunters, which you should. I like to watch Mindhunter or too. season three of The Wire. Um, I was thinking about it. I uh, have, I have, it, it's, now it's time, though. It's time, Season yeah, yeah. three begins. I um, I have all of these books, all the Hannibal books. I've read them all. I like them quite a bit. Uh, I think Red Dragon is a great book. It mm-hmm. caught me by surprise, because I was, when I was a kid, obviously I was aware of Silence of the Lambs, right? 
And when I was getting into looking for more books, like branching off the Stephen King universe, when I was like a teen, and I'm like, all right, yeah. give me more like scary books to read, or you know, quote unquote scary, give me yeah. more like horror yeah. and dark books or whatever. Um, and I read Red Dragon kind of on a whim. Yeah. And it knocked me on my ass a little bit. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really expecting it when I was young, so I was like, oh, this is cool. Then I read Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. Um, I would recommend them. Still probably the best, most distilled format of the character and yeah. the stories. Did you know... How did you feel about this ending when you read it? About this, the Lecter and it's, the Starling? It's a little weird. It's, it's, yeah. it's definitely a little bit like, wait, what? Yeah. Clary, eh. And I kind of went with it because the rest of the book was fine and they get into it. But I remember by reading Hannibal, I'm like, all right, we're getting into like... Eddie Brock territory a little bit here. Like, this is getting a little old Sandman-y for me. Silence of the Lambs of the movie is kind of one of those movies I don't talk about, but an underrated one of those movies that I think is fundamentally perfect. Like, it's a really, really, really good movie that I sometimes forget how good it is. For sure. Uh, so when I when Hannibal came out in theaters in 2001, I definitely went to pay money to go see it mm. and did not like it. It is not a good movie. No, I've heard it's very it's bad. Very, you've never seen it? Ah, uh, maybe I, saw, I probably might have seen it at some point. Same kind of idea. You should watch it just for the context of knowing the story and how they portray yeah, 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 the, yeah. the change. I found it to be very bad. And I've told this story before. I watched the first 10 minutes of Red Dragon, sorry, Edward Norton, uh, on TBS one day. And I really liked the first 10 minutes. Mm. And this is a long time ago. And uh, I was like, wow, this is a pretty good movie. I don't want to watch it on TBS. I'd like to watch the the full the real thing. The real yeah. thing. So I got in my car. This is like high school. Drove to Blockbuster or show whatever showbiz video, right? Rented the full movie, brought it home, rewatched the first 15 minutes, still really liked it, and then the rest of the movie is hot garbage and i've never been so angry if you if you're into red dragon if you read the book you like the story uh the tv show the nbc tv show hannibal is for you they do a lot of red dragon a lot of will graham a lot of uh a lot of that stuff who's your favorite horror author who's not stephen king do you have like a number two guy the second Um, favorite horror author is it thomas harris (laughs) no I don't know, I would have to, I'd probably have to think about it for a little bit. I have a second, fa- I have a favorite horror book that's not by Stephen King, but I hate the rest of the author's books, so I can't call him my second favorite horror author. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's close up the show here. We're, we're taking our sweet time on this. All right. Uh, so there you go. Hannibal by Thomas Harris, Wild Wild West by Will Smith featuring Drew Hill and Cool Mo D, and Runaway Bride, number one movie, song, and book in America on this day, 1999. Uh, all right, let's see here. So, Kev, this is just for you and me. Uh, there is a new Sopranos Monopoly, Sopranos-themed Monopoly that's been released to the public mm. uh, in in anticipation of the new Sopranos prequel film. Kev, what are your thoughts about Sopranos Monopoly specifically, but also themed Monopoly games? Um, I mean, Monopoly sucks. I kind of like Monopoly. Yeah, but it's not fun. <laughs> um, but I guess if you're going to have it, and never play it because nobody ever plays it again because it's not fun. Um, but if you're good, so if you're harsh. gonna ha- well, harsh, you know, tough, like tough affair. Somebody literally has to. Yeah. Um, so if you're gonna have one to keep on the shelf and never touch, it might, I, it's cool to get a themed one. But like, I'm not paying wild money for a yeah. themed Monopoly. Like, the absolute ceiling on a themed Monopoly board is nineteen dollars ninety eight nine cents. Yeah, this is probably and way more crazy. expensive than this, and that's crazy yeah. to me. Chance cards in this version have been renamed to A, and community chess cards, of course, are O. So at least they're taking it very seriously, which uh. I appreciate. Oh, here's the pieces for all you Sopranos fans out there. The pieces include a small duck, uh, to represent the ducks from season uh-huh. one, 
a Satriali's pig, a therapy chair, the Stugats, which was Tony's boat, uh-huh. and one of Bobby's toy trains. Because those are not great choices. Uh, you could do a, a little gun. better. You could do a little better. Want a gun? I don't want one of Bobby's toy trains. Doesn't make sense. They don't want to do a gun. They don't. They don't want to do a gun. They're yeah, not yeah, gonna yeah. do a gun. Yeah. But yeah, if it was really Sopranos, it'd be like uh, Christopher's heroin needle we, and we need the horse. The horse. Yeah, pile my. Yeah, Yo, yeah, pile yeah. my. How come it's not a pile my piece? Terrible. Yeah, give me like Tony's uh, SUV. And in a special segment this week for I Wish Heather Was Here to Talk About It, there's a new... Give me Polly Walnuts with the sunscreen. Yo, yes! This thing open. Oh, this yeah, the tan. Yeah, yeah. New HBO Max reality show. It's called F-Boys. F-Boys is the name of this new reality show. Kev, I'll give you the premise. Uh, three women are placed on an island with 24 hot guys. Half are self-described, quote-unquote, fuckboys, while half claim to be, quote-unquote, nice guys. And the women have to figure out who is who. So there you go. F-Boys, the new HBO Max reality and dating show. Kev, your thoughts? Um, I mean... Yeah, you gotta protect your brand. <laughs> and I get that, like, it's streaming wars and everybody's pushing for, like, original content, but, like, you guys got, like, the Criterion Collection and, like, <laughs> Studio Ghibli. Yeah, all it's this, a lot like, of stuff. All these heritage properties or all this stuff, and you're just like, no, you no, not for this. I expect this from Netflix. Yeah, F Boy Island. F Boy mm-hmm. Island. Enjoy it on. What is everything's just an island? Like, we're all just going to do this on an island. Secluded. Every secluded. single reality show is on an island now. All right. Uh, let's do some Spotify picks, and then we'll call it quits for the day. Uh, Kev, I noticed you put one of my all-time favorite songs on your uh, list on here. So do you want to go first? Do you want to highlight some tracks for me? Yeah, yeah. One of your, obviously, all-time uh, favorite songs is Notorious by Duran Duran. Of course, I obviously. I can't get enough of that song. Um... I put Redundant by Green Day on there because I was listening. There's a podcast I really like called Bandsplain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did Green Day this week or last week, and I was listening to it. Um, and they play a lot of songs in there and everything. Um, and then also, um, I put on the song Lost Somebody by A Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. off their new album that came out um, just a couple years ago. Because there's another podcast I listen to where um, these two guys listen to every album by a band and go through and talk about each mm-hmm. album and rate which one's the best, the worst, the favorite, all that kind of thing. They did Tribe pretty recently, so I was listening to that, so those two have been kind of on rotation. Redundant by Green Day is a very particular, close-to-my-heart song. Nimrod by Green Day, one of the first albums mm-hmm. I remember buying, my own money, walking oh, yeah. into a store and buying it, and Redundant was one that stuck with me. I'll highlight two songs as well. Uh, one is uh, 180 Degrees by No Effects. Uh, I just like it. I've been thinking about it all week. The other one, though, is more of a discussion piece. John Mayer's new album came out this week. It mm-hmm. is called Sob Rock, mm-hmm. and it is essentially like a themed album mm-hmm. where he's doing like 80s, I guess you'd call it like yacht, rock. yacht Rock kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yacht rock. I don't want to say that I dislike it because it's not bad. Mm-hmm. It just feels kind of, is it like a troll job? Is he trolling us? No. No, is he just having a... Only kinda. I mean, he's having fun with it. <laughs> he seems like he's having Certainly a good time. He's got some tongue-in-cheek in it, but like also, like it sounds like the man's you know going through it, as is always. Is it a little lazy? It feels a little lazy. No, I don't think that's the case at all. I think that I I would say that, you know, when you get to a certain point, right, you're a guy like John Mayer, you've had a ton of records, you've played with the dead, you've shared stages with all these different people, you're doing stuff, 
it seems inevitable that you're going to want to do a project focused on, yeah. like, I'm going to make this specific type of music that, like, I grew up with yeah. and grew up playing and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It'd be the equivalent of being, like, you know, after you put out a bunch of records, you're like, all right, this is going to be, like, my Holy Ghost record. Yeah. It was like, I'm, I'm just going to lean really hard into this. Like, this is what I grew up with. This is what it looks like. So I'm going to repackage it and try to do it. Much like I've seen Weezer doing with the last bunch yeah. of years, like Van Weezer and the Teal album and... You know, okay, human, all that kind of stuff. I think this is very. This is a this continuation. This is my Bruce Hornsby album. This is yeah. just a, it's a continuation <laughs> yeah. of a trend of like these packaged nostalgia performance art albums that we're seeing from Legacy X. Do like the artwork. I appreciate. I think the artwork's actually quite good on it. Um, mm. All right, and that is it. Uh, shout out to Ryan Miller. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Follow Heather Waz. She'll be back sooner than later at Heather Waz One. Follow Kevin at underscore. Kevin Sullivan, you can follow me at SF Doom or just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, taking over the web. Sayonara, humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. The tape machines are rolling, and we are desperately out of time. We will see you next week for another episode of the Uticast. Take care, folks. Enjoy yourselves out there, and stay safe. (laughs) 